Today's reading will be from Acts chapter 14, verses 19 to 23. Verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch, Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. And, but when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every city, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Here is the reign of God's word. As you could tell by our songs we sung this morning and our praise that our prayers that we prayed, um, we're going to talk about trials. As we read in our reading this morning, that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. There is no way around it. There is no other road. The other road is the broad road, which leads to destruction. This road, which involves many tribulations, is the narrow road. And if you are with us uh, here this morning for our Sunday school, Mark taught on the process of sanctification, which was really good. I encourage you to listen to it online if you were not here. Um, I'm going to kind of give a part two. Um, I asked him earlier if he tapped into my computer and looked at some of my notes, and he said no. So we, we really... Um, really feel and believe that uh, God wants us to hear um, this message to encourage us, to strengthen us, to continue on, because it's difficult, isn't it? Life is very difficult. Now, if you haven't gone through any difficulties, praise God. Wait around, live a little bit longer, it's sure to come. But for those of us who have gone through these difficulties, you know what I'm talking about. But the good thing is, is we're still here. Amen? And we're not here just because we've done something. We're here by God's grace and his grace alone. And he's the one who has gotten us through it. And he will continue to get us through these. Think about it. God is going to save us every time except once. And that once, he's going to take us home with him. Right? Every time. He's going to heal us. He's going to save us. Except once. And that one time, he's just going to call us home. So be encouraged. That's what I want to do this morning as we, as we read this passage. We're going to start here, but we're going to go many other places here and let the word uh, and encourage us. But, but my goal is to strengthen and encourage you as we should one another. I, I want to strengthen and encourage myself. But that's, that's what I love about the body, about us being one and about us being knitly joined together and, and, and close, is that we can encourage one another when we encounter these difficulties because we will encounter them. Amen? So let me just read the passage again and then we'll get going here. 
It says that Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Now, you want to talk about a man here real quick who can encourage and strengthen the believers because he said, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Here is a man who knows what he's talking about. I mean, look at this passage here. It says that he was stoned, and they thought that he was dead. He didn't die, but he was at the point of death. And and it says here, verse 20, but when the disciples gathered about him, that he rose up and entered the city on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. What a man. Yeah, as I was reading that, of course, I'm into sports a lot, so I I start thinking about sports, and I start thinking about these, these athletes who make millions of dollars a year and who maybe have a sore foot or a hurt leg or something like that and have to sit out, you know, a couple games and get paid. Here's a man who was stoned nearly to death, and on the next day, he's out preaching the Word of God again. And we know here that God miraculously healed him, comforted him. He said in verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city, which is Derby, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, the place where he was stoned. And the reason he went back there was because he heard of the news that these young converts, these young Christians who were just brought into the kingdom of light were going through hardship and persecution, and trials. So it was Paul's heart and Barnabas's heart to go back into that town and strengthen the brethren. And how they strengthened them was through the word of God. That's what a pastor does. That's what Pastor John does to us every Sunday when we come here. He strengthens us In the Word of God. He teaches us the Word of God so it will strengthen our souls. But not only did they want to strengthen them, but they wanted to encourage them, exhort them. And it just doesn't mean teach them, It, it means teaching them, but also teach them how to do what they're teaching them. This is what Paul was doing to these believers. He was encouraging them through the Word, and he was strengthening them through the Word, and he was encouraging them to hang in there. And here's how you do it. First of all, he could have just said, look at me. My body show the scars and marks of following Christ, right? Continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. I think about Job. Can you imagine if these guys were still, can you imagine if the Apostle Paul just came here and, and spoke? Just, just the the messages he would speak. Can you imagine Paul or Job or, you know, these guys who went through many trials? Can you imagine the volumes of books they could have written on suffering? How about Job chapter 5 or 7? You probably all know this, right? But man is born to trouble as sparks fly upwards. Amen? Sparks do fly upwards, right? Man is born for trouble. We are going to have trouble. Continue on with Job in Job chapter 14. Man who is born of woman is few days and full of trouble. You're here for a little time, however long, how many years the Lord grants you to live here. And during that time, it's full of trouble. It's full of tribulation. So this morning, as we go through the Bible, 
my prayer is that you would be encouraged and you'd be strengthened to continue in the faith because you're going to go through a lot of tribulations before you enter the kingdom of God. Life is difficult. All of us at one time or another have experienced pain, heartache, trouble, anxiety. And matter of fact, right now, you might be going through that. Why do we do that? Why do we go through trials? Why do we go through difficult times? Well, if you don't know, we're sinful. We live in a fallen, sinful world. There are mean people out there. We have an enemy who hates us, who wants to see us leave, who wants to see us be destroyed and ultimately killed. We live in the midst of evil. And I was thinking about that um, just a few weeks ago. We, you know, we finished uh, VBS and we went through the Pilgrim's Progress with the children. And if you've never read that book, I, I would encourage you to, to read it because you'll see yourself in it. Christian, the man who was leaving his city of destruction, wanted to go to the celestial city. And it was a long way. And on that path, it wasn't just cookies and cakes and ice cream. It was very difficult. There were many distractions. There were many uh, uh, obstacles and, and, and things that were trying to get him off of that road. You know, I was thinking about, you know, how could I explain the Christian life? Because a lot of times people will say, well, you know, if you become a Christian, then everything will be great and hunky-dory and nice and smooth. And we know that's not right. The Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon with obstacle courses in it. I don't watch it too often, but every once in a while I'll come along that TV program, Wipeout. You ever seen it? I, I don't watch it too much. I just saw it one time. And I was thinking, there, there, was, there was a guy who was trying to reach his destination, and he was almost there. He was doing pretty good of all this stuff rocking and moving him and throwing him off. But anyways, he was climbing on a wall, and he was going across, and out of nowhere, this punching <laughs> glove comes right through this wall and hits him square in the face, and he had no clue it was there. He was like, yeah, I got it. And all of a sudden, boom, and it hit him, and he fell off in the water, and he was done. That's kind of like the Christian Life, isn't it? Thank God we're not done. But oftentimes, unexpectedly, we get hit in the face. We get knocked down. And it hurts. And it's painful. Why? I remember Jesus saying in Luke 23, he, as he was being crucified on the cross, he looked at, at, at the daughters. He said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. But weep for yourselves and for your children because he knew what we would come up against. Matter of fact, if you go on further on in that verse, it was talking about how they wished that the mountains would just fall on them. And Jesus was trying to explain to them that you're going to go through many of difficulties. Don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children of what you're going to go through. But I'm thankful this morning that when we go through these tribulations and trials that we know, that we serve a God who is very close and very involved in our trials. A poll by the Barna uh, Group once asked, if you could ask God one question and you know that he would give you an answer, what would you ask? 
that poll, the, the majority said that the most common response was, why is there pain and why is there suffering in the world? That was the majority response. If I could ask God one question and he would answer me, I would ask him, why is there so much pain and why is there so much suffering? People ask all the time, how could God, how could a God of love allow tragedy or pain or suffering? Matter of fact, John MacArthur, who used to do the Larry King Live, said that Larry King said exactly that. I cannot believe in a God who allow evil or bad or harm. I can't, I can't comprehend that. How could a God of love allow such hard things and bad things to happen? And therefore, he couldn't believe. And as Christians, as believers, if we're honest, we're tempted to ask some of those same questions that the heathen do, right? Why? Or how about this? Where are you? Where are you in all of this? Why did you allow this to happen? Listen to A.W. Pink. He said, the apprehension of this blessed truth, which is God's faithfulness, by the way, it says, we'll check our murmurings. The Lord knows what is best for each of us, and one effect of resting on this truth will be the silencing of our petulant complainings. God is greatly honored when under trials and chastening that we have good thoughts of him, Vindicate his wisdom and justice and recognize his love in his very rebuke. God knows exactly what is best for us. Do you understand that? Do you understand here this morning that God knows more than you do? He does. He knows the past better than you do. He knows the present better than you do. And he knows the future better than you do. And he's planned it all out. You have to understand, yeah, in John 15, Jesus is talking about the, the vine and the branches, right? And he says that my father is what? The vine dresser. And he says that those who bear fruit will be pruned, cut back, hardship, pain, discomfort. And he's the vine dresser and we're the branch. And I wrote here that fortunately God doesn't ask us when or how we would like to be pruned does he? He doesn't ask if this is an okay time. He doesn't ask if it's okay if he does it this way. He knows what's best for us. And you have to see that. That when we're pruned or when we're put in difficult places, he knows what's best for us. Because if not, he wouldn't put us there. So it's about our perception C.S. Lewis said this, that the problem of pain is atheism's most potent weapon against a Christian faith. They can't comprehend how a loving God would have children and allow them to go through so much pain. But bad things do happen to us, right? Matter of fact, you've read that book, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? Another way you could say that is, why do bad things happen to all people? It's not just good people. They happen to all people in this world. But God does allow bad things to happen to his people. Why does he do that? Well, we're going to find out, hopefully, in a little bit here. But I want to read to you real quick from the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 3. Listen to this. God from all eternity, from all eternity 
did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordains whatsoever comes to pass. If anything happens outside God's sovereign providence, that cannot happen. God's never had to say, "Uh uh-oh, how did that happen? And quick, let me fix this. It says that whatsoever comes to pass, he has freely and unchangeably ordained it. Matter of fact, Jerry Bridges says, and I quote, he permits for reasons known only to himself, people to act contrary to and in defiance to his revealed will. However, he never permits them to act contrary to his sovereign will. Did you get that? Let's look at a few scriptures here. Proverbs 16, 9. I think we'll have it up there for you. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs nineteen twenty one. Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Lamentations 3.37. Who has spoken and it come to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider or look intently at. God has made the one as well as the other. So if you're in a moment of prosperity, rejoice. Be thankful. However, when you're in a moment of adversity, consider that God has made both of them. Now that's difficult for some people to grasp, especially the word of faith movement, right? God wants you wealthy, healthy, and nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. That's their theology. I don't know where they find that out in here. I have no clue. I mean, I look throughout these scriptures and the whole Bible, and I just see these people in constant pain, in constant suffering, constant hardship. Margaret Clarkson said that the sovereignty of God is the one impregnable rock to which the suffering human heart must cling. If you do not know that God is sovereign and he allows and permits and ordains all things to come to pass, you're going to be pretty messed up when difficulties hit you. Can you think about that when you're going through a serious trial and having a clue if God's sovereign or not? Or maybe the devil's done it and the devil's stronger than God or even human beings are stronger than God. The sovereignty of God is the one impregnable rock to which the suffering human heart must cling. So because of that, then no one can say, I will do this or that or do anything against you if it is not part of God's sovereign will. Nobody can say or do anything to you if it is against God's sovereign will. If it's not, it's not going to happen. The devil's not stronger. Other men are not stronger than God, where God's just over in the corner and has his hands tied and can't do anything. No, God is sovereign over every 
situation that goes on in your life, and he knows it very, very well. So let me give you two promises real quick, okay, before we move on here. Number one is John 16.33. In this world, you will have tribulation. There's promise number one. If you are alive and you live on planet Earth, you're going to have tribulation. This is not talking about just some little bumps in the road or little, you know, hiccups or little heartaches. This word tribulation, phlepsis in the Greek, it means affliction, trouble, anguish, or burdens. They're difficult. They're hard. They're painful. You're going to have those. We cannot expect to live here and live a pain-free life. Not encountering any difficulties, that's not going to happen. The thing is, we don't know when they're going to happen, right? We don't have a clue. We don't, we don't know what tomorrow promises. He does, but we don't. We're to live in faith for today. Matter of fact, watch this scripture here. Proverbs 27.1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what a day may bring. Do you? You don't. You're here today, and next Sunday, you might be in eternity. You're here today, and tomorrow, you could be in a coma. Now, I want to encourage you. (laughs) But it's true, right? We don't. All of a sudden, we're going along like that climber, and all of a sudden, that punching glove comes right through the wall and knocks us down. We don't know what tomorrow will bring Everybody's healthy and happy, and tomorrow could get a phone call saying that a loved one's passed away, and they've died, and they're no longer here. I've experienced that. It's hard. It's difficult. Why? All these things go through your mind. One day you're in love and happily married. The next day your spouse wants a divorce, wants nothing to do with you, wants to get out. These are tribulations. And we will have them. We're not immune to such pain as these. In fact, it often seems more frequently and more severe that God's children experience these more than the heathen do, don't they? It's like you see the heathen out there and they're prospering and they're, you know, and their sin and stuff like that. And here we are, we're, we're living a holy life, we're on the narrow road and we're going through hardship and trials and it just seems that they ever increase and they get more painful. But here's promise number two. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation. So whenever you say that word temptation there, he's talking about testing. No temptation has overtaken you that is common to man. Now watch this. If you're into highlighting or circling or underlining, highlight this. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. There's your second promise. First one is you're going to have uh, tribulation. The second promise is that he's not going to let these testings be so much that you cannot endure it. He will not give you more than you can handle. That's a promise. So if he's put you in a dark place and he's put you in a hard place and he's put you in a difficult place and you remain, you can endure it. 
If you couldn't, he would never allow it to come to your pass, right? So write these down real quick. Why does God allow the Christian to go through trials and experience difficult times? Number one, to test your faith or to see if your faith is really real. Don't you want to know that? Don't you want to know if you have enduring faith? Real quick, go with me to, you know, James chapter 1. You know that, right? We should be reading this every day. But let's look at it real quick. James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Pastor James. One commentator said, Pastor Wacko. Because it does. What do you mean consider it all joy when I fall into these types of trials? Are you nuts? The Apostle Paul said almost the same thing in Romans chapter 5. Look at this in verse 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Did you get that? Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that the suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So do you see, guys, that, that these trials and these testings have uh, um, an effect on us. They, 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 they have things that, that make us and conform us and to build us. That's what God uses to shape us and to strengthen us and to test our faith, trials. So Paul here and James here tells us both to rejoice this means to make a deliberate and careful decision to experience joy even in times of trouble. So if you lose a loved one, you're not supposed to go, whoopee, you know, great, I just lost my son, oh, praise God. It's not what he's talking about. It's not what he's talking about. If you do lose a loved one or whatever the trial might be, just know that it's come from a sovereign God who knows what he's doing. And you can look to that that he's going to give you the grace. He's going to give you the strength to endure that trial. That's what he's talking about. You can rejoice in that. So that's why Paul says we rejoice in our sufferings. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7, 4, that in all our afflictions, I am overflowing with joy. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Why? To test you. As though some strange thing were happening to you, but rejoice. Insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Yeah, I don't know what's harder. Maybe, maybe you might know. Count it all joy or in everything give thanks. They're both kind of difficult, huh? They're, they're hard. Listen to this one Presbyterian pastor. His name was Lloyd John Ogilvie. He says this, and I quote, I underwent the worst year of my life. He says his wife had undergone five major surgeries, plus radiation and chemotherapy. Several of his staff members had departed. 
large problems loomed and discouragement assaulted his feelings. And after all that, he said this, the greatest discovery that I have made in the midst of all the difficulties is that I can have joy when I can't feel like it. When I had every reason to feel beaten, I felt joy. In spite of everything, God gave me the conviction of being loved and the certainty that nothing could separate me from him. It was not happiness or gush or jolliness, but a constant flow of the Spirit through me. At no time did he give me the easy confidence that everything would work out as I wanted it on my timetable. Ain't that true? But that he was in charge and would give me and my family enough courage for each day. That, my folks, is called grace. And because of grace, joy is always the result of grace. Thank you. Even though you may not have taken it away from me and you didn't change it or take care of it in my timetable, you have given me the endurance and the strength to go through it. And because of that, I rejoice. And that's what James and Paul is talking about. And, of course, that's what Paul meant in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, right, when he says that, that God is the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. When he says that he's the God of all comfort, that doesn't mean that God just comes down and, and gives you a hug and, and you know, pats you on the back and lets you know everything's going to be okay. He could do that. But when he's talking about that he's the God of all comfort, he means that he's the God of all strength, that he's the God that gives you courage and endurance and perseverance to go through the trials. That's what he's talking about. And it says here in James, he says that when you meet these trials of various kinds, what does that mean? Well, it actually means in the verb, it means to put someone or something to the test. What are you made out of? Right? But the purpose of the test is to discover that person's nature or quality. Because we think maybe, you know, we're, we're pretty good and pretty strong, and then a test comes in our life to show us you're really not. You want to know if your faith is real and endures, right? These happens through tests. Now look at Hezekiah in Second Chronicles 32, 31. He says this, that God left him to himself in order to test him and to know that what was all that was in his heart. So God came uh, with Hezekiah and comforted him, and then all of a sudden departed took himself away. He was nowhere to be found, nowhere to be felt. You ever been in that place? God left him to himself in order to test him and to know all that it was in his heart. How about the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 8? God led you in the wilderness these 40 years that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. It's throughout scripture. God does this. Or how about Job? <laughs> we could spend weeks on Job. He didn't lose one child, but he lost all of his children. He didn't lose his job. He lost his entire source of income. He had great health, and now he had a serious disease. Maybe incurable, I don't know. But through all these trials, his wife failed the test, right? Why don't you curse God and die? That proved she did not have enduring faith. Job did. Though he slay me, I will trust him. He had enduring faith. And you know, folks, God is not on the edge of his bed 
waiting for us to stub our toe so that he could just hurry up down here and comfort us and kiss our owie and make it all better. A lot of times, he will allow you to go through suffering and you can't feel him at all. Your prayers don't seem to be answered. It lingers on. It's been a year. It's been two years. Where are you, God? He withdrew himself to test Hezekiah, to see what was in his heart. So sometimes God will pull himself away to test your faith. And by the way, the test is now for him to know, right? The test is for who? It's for us to know that we're not all we think we are. All right? Um, got my papers mixed up here. Here we go. Number two, it causes us to grow spiritually. God will put us through tests and trials to cause us to grow spiritually. Jeremiah chapter 12. Watch this. Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5 and 6. This is after Jeremiah complains to God. God says this, If you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And if in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of Jordan? So you see what God's saying here to Jeremiah? If you run with men and they've wearied you, how are you going to contend with horses? Jeremiah, you're going to go through much more difficult times than what you're going through right now. You're going to go through much more difficult times than what you're going through right now, church. And therefore, testing and trials help you to encounter those troubles as they will come. It's kind of like spiritually working out. Charles Spurgeon said this. Listen to this quote. I bear willing witness that I owe more to the fire and the hammer and the file than to anything else in my Lord's workshop. I sometimes question whether I have learned anything except through the rod. When my schoolroom is darkened, I see most, end quote. That's a great Charles Spurgeon. And that's exactly what Job said in Job 42.5 after all of his testing towards the end. He said this, I have heard of you by the hearing of ear, but now my eyes see you. See, I didn't really see you before chapter one. But now through all this testing and hardship and pain and suffering and loss of children and loss of everything, I truly see you now. It helps us to grow spiritually. So do you see God at work right now in your suffering? Can you see him for what he's doing? Let me read to you real quick Lamentations, which is right after Jeremiah. Lamentations chapter 3. I don't know if I have it up here. I am the man who has seen affliction. This is Jeremiah speaking. I am a man who has seen affliction. Under the rod of his wrath, he has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me, he turns his hand and again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. 
He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer, and he has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. Here's a man who is in lamentations. Here's a man who's going through difficult and hard times. He's crying out for God, and God is nowhere to be found. However, in verse 31 of Lamentations 3, For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he causes grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Watch this now. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. So in other words, what Jeremiah is saying is that God just isn't up, is sitting up there and, and, and just having a great time causing you to go through much grief and trials and controlling you like a remote control game or something like that. That's not what he does. He's not up there laughing. If it's not good for you, he will not allow it to happen. But if he does allow it to happen, we must know that it's good for us. It will cause us to grow spiritually. God does not delight in our sufferings. He only brings necessary what it is to help us grow. Okay? Number three, why does God bring trials into our lives? To bring dependence upon God. To bring dependence upon God. God will teach us through trials to rely on him instead of ourselves, which we are prone to do, right? We are prone to really rely on our own understanding. Try to figure it out. Try to solve it. Try to end it. That's not God's purpose. He wants you to depend upon him. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8. Listen to the Apostle Paul. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. So Paul's in a situation that there's no escape. There is no human possible reason. There's no anything that he could possibly do. He doesn't have enough money to pay his way out of it. He doesn't have enough wisdom to think his way out of it. He doesn't have enough friends to help him. He has absolutely nothing in this situation. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Do you know that oftentimes God will put you in a situation that seems so difficult that you would just despair life itself? You're just with, I'm just going to, I'm dying. I'm done. There is no way out of this unless God does something. And God will put us there. He went on to say, he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us on him. We have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Why does he allow these things to happen? To bring dependence on him, knowing that he's the only one that can do it. John chapter six, I like this. He was talking to Philip, testing him. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing a large crowd that was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? The Bible says he said this to test him. What do you got, Philip? Let's see if you've learned so far. Where are we going to find enough money to feed all these people? How are we going to do this? So Philip starts getting in his wallet and starts counting how much money he has. 200 denarii. That's not going to be enough to feed them. He failed the test. 
what Jesus was looking for was a response like this. You're the Messiah. I don't know how we're going to feed all these people, but I know that you do. I know that you can do it. So if you're in a situation right now and you have no idea what it's about and how to get out of it, it's good for you to depend upon God. So when all your friends and all your loved ones are saying, well, what are you going to do? Well, what are you going to do? You got to do something. Rely upon God. Lean upon God in prayer and fasting and whatever it takes. Get on your hands and knees and face and cry out to him and say, what do you want to do? I can't get out of this. You either save me or I'm a dead man. But whatever your will is, I submit to it. It'll bring dependence upon God. Number four, to show us what we really love. To show us what's really important to us. Do we love the things of the world more than God? How about this? Do you value your health more than you do God? Because when sickness and disease comes into your life and you value your health more than that, you're going to be in trouble. Maybe you value your bank account or the pleasures of this world more than you do God. What are you going to do when you lose your job? What are you going to do when all of your money has been stripped and you don't have enough money to pay your bills? You see, these trials open our eyes to really what's most important to us. Our sanctification or worldly pleasures. Having a lot of money or letting God provide for you. It shows us what we really love. You know, you think about testing, and of course, Job would be right up there, number one, with who went through the most trials and struggles. But think about this test for a moment, okay? Genesis chapter 22, Abraham. God said this. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Put yourself in his shoes. You have a son that's been promised to you. You're a very old man. God finally delivers. He's faithful on his promise. He gives you a son, your only son, the only son you have, and you love him dearly. You love him. And God calls your name. Abraham. Here I am, God. I want you to take your son, your only son, that you love a lot, and I want you to kill him. That can't be God. Said God said this to test him. Now, I don't know if God will ever do that to one of us. Yes, he could. But he wanted to see what was most important to Abraham. And the Bible doesn't say that Abraham kind of sat back and said, wait a minute, you're a God of love. You don't like killing. That's my only son. 
And he got to the point where he had that knife up and was ready to come down on his only son whom he loved. And God said, stop. I know that you fear me now. I know that you love me. And it was a test. Sometimes God will test us to show us what we really love. Do we love him more than us, than our family, than our children, than our money, than our jobs, than our health, than this world? Because if we love the things of the world more than God, when these trials do come into our lives, it's going to be very difficult to go through. And possibly, you might just shake your fist at God. And like Job's wife, curse him and die. That's not what you want to do. God should be number one. Paul in Acts chapter 20, he said that in every town he was going, this is in now in the, the providence of God's uh, Holy Spirit, says that every town you go to, you're going to have chains and tribulations. You're going to have beatings, scourgings. They're going to they're treat you badly. But he said, I don't care. I don't consider my life dear to me. I'm dead. I've been crucified with Christ. The things of the world matter not to me. If it's his will that I go to every town and preach the gospel and they throw me in prison and beat me, then so be it, praise God. I'm yours. You've bought me. You own me. I know you know what's best for me. And if this is what's best for me, then so be it. You're going to give me the endurance and the strength to help me through this. And he did. Find out what you really live. Number five, why do we go through trials? So that we can comfort others, right? We, we can comfort others. Second Corinthians chapter one. Let me turn real quick. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Now watch this now. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. God allows trials and testings to come into our lives so that we will comfort others, that we come alongside them and help them, encourage them to actually let our lives speak that, you know what, God has comforted me. He's been so gentle and gracious with me. He's, he's allowed me to go through this and I've been through it and he's got me through the other side and I'm here just to comfort you. That's what we started this whole thing on, right? Strengthening the souls and encouraging them to continue in the faith. We should be doing that to one another. Encouraging those when you find out that they're going through difficult times or when you get the prayer list uh, emailed to you, that you would pray, that you would call your brother or sister and encourage them with the same comfort you were comforted with when you went through your trial. Luke twenty two thirty one. Simon, Simon, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Encourage them. Strengthen them. You see, Peter could now comfort the others more tenderly and without pride after his fall than he would have before. 
Because isn't it true sometimes we're just a little bit impatient or a little bit hard on people who are going through trials and you're kind of like thinking, why don't you just get over it? You know, deal with it, pray and move on. We do, don't we? We get like that. But it's, it's amazing how when God puts us through a, a trial and a hard test and then we find out somebody else is going through it, we're a little bit more understanding and a little bit more patient with them. We're not what we think we were. Then all of a sudden we get thrown in that, that flame right there and we have compassion on one another. That's why Jesus said, take heed lest you fall. When you see a brother or sister going through a difficult time, you don't need to be mean. You don't need to say, deal with it. Get over it. Where's your faith? Are you saved? (laughs) Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Come alongside them and carry their burden with them. They're weak. So that we could comfort others. Number six, why does God allow testings to come in our lives? To keep us humble. To keep us humble. Luke 22, verse 33, stating that same verse, Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Really, Peter? You really think you are? Okay. Satan's going to sift you like wheat, and he's going to mess you up. You're not who you think you are, Peter. You're a coward. You're going to run for your life. You're even going to deny that you even know me. Did it work to keep him humble? Well, he actually said in 1 Peter 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders and clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he, at the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you, to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, and strengthen and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. I think he learned his lesson. I think he learned how to be humble. I'm willing to fight for you. I'm even willing to go to prison and die for you. And he wasn't. God allowed the testimony to come in his life. He allowed Satan to sift him like wheat. And after that, he did learn his lesson. But I love how he wrote there that after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to the eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, and strengthen and establish you. That's what he will do. Sounds just like Luke 22. Or how about Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, right? He didn't want to, but he had to brag because they were questioning his apostleship. They were bragging about all they've done, and Paul basically said, I went to heaven, beat that. I don't know whether I was in body or out of body. I don't know anything. I can't really even talk about it because I really don't know. But I know I was in heaven, and I saw. And because of that, to keep me humble, 
God allowed a messenger of Satan to buffet me, a thorn in the flesh to keep me humble. And so that was difficult. I pleaded with the Lord three times, take this thorn from me. My grace is sufficient. Take this thorn from me. My grace is sufficient. Take the thorn from me. My grace is sufficient every time he asked that. Sometimes God will allow testings to come in your life to humble you, to bring you low. Last one. Why does God allow testing to come in our lives? To let you know that he is never more present than when we are suffering. (laughs) Wait a minute. I'm going through a suffering right now, and God seems a billion years away. I don't seem close to him. He doesn't seem close to me. I don't feel like he's comforting me. I pray. I don't get any response. I don't have any direction. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. Where are you, God? Listen to David, who went through his share of suffering. Psalms chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? How long is this going to be? How long are you going to wait? When are you going to do something? When are you going to take this away? Psalms 10.1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? David felt that. He felt alone. Impatient. Lord, this has been going on for five years. I don't see any end in sight. When are you going to do something? I prayed faithfully to you. I've read scriptures. I've gotten counsel. I go to church. I'm doing good things. But it's still here. He knows what's best for us and how long it should remain. He does. But he is so ever close to us in our trials. Now, if you think that God's will for you is to have an easy, likable life, then when a trial hits your way, you're going to think God is really far away because that's not his will for me. His will for me is to have a very fun life where I get my own way every time. But if you know that it's God's will to sanctify you, and to test you, and to strengthen you, and to see what you really love, and to humble you, and to comfort others, and to know that he's ever close to you, then you will see God's nearness in these difficult times. You'll know that he's near. Listen to this, Psalms 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Did you, see, did you hear that? He is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit because he's witnessed this. Now I'm going to read you three more scriptures before we close here, and I really want you to grasp a hold of these, okay? Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. 
Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. He will not. If you're going through a trial right now, he is closer than you can even imagine. He is there with you going through that. Deuteronomy 31.8. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, do not fear or be dismayed. Those are promises that we can grab a hold of and turn to and rely upon when we're put in the fire. So if you're going through a trial, if you're going through a, a dark time right now, it might be a sickness. It could be a loss of a child. It could be a miscarriage. It could be a loss of a parent. It could be a sickness. It could be a disease. It could be whatever. It could be a difficult marriage. It could be a difficult boss. It could be I don't have enough money. What, what, whatever it is. I will not leave you nor forsake you. And I will see you through this. Just a reminder, church, that the just shall live by what? Faith. If you're living according to your feelings, you're going to be in serious trouble. But if you live by faith and the promises of God, not if, but when you go, through tribulation, these promises will comfort you however long it takes. It could be the rest of our lives. Remember, through tribulation, a lot of them, we must enter the kingdom of God.